The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, It's an honor to be able to share with you guys today. Um, We're continuing. If you're visiting here, we are in the middle of a series right now. um, And so we're continuing on with that today. Um, A friend of mine asked me this week, he said, oh, what are you speaking on? And um, I said, oh, it's the We See series. And he was like, We See? What are you talking about? And I realized, oh, well, not everybody understands what we're talking about when we say we see. Pastor Scott, last year, started sharing with us what he was writing down, that he was hearing the Lord speak to him, through him, over this body. And he began to share that with us. And as a matter of fact, I know one day I took a picture of it with my phone so I could just chew on it. Um, And every now and then through the last few months, I don't know exactly how long it's been, he'll talk about we see. And when he starts to talk about we see, I stop. I get chills because it's like, yes, this is not what Pastor Scott sees. This is not what we see. This is the word of God that he sees over us in this body for this time. This is huge. So I want to start us off by reviewing where we've been over the last couple of weeks. We see a sanctuary full of passionate worshipers, free and unhindered. We see a place where home equals revival and revival equals home. Home is what revival looks like. We see teaching and preaching that is grounded in the word, spirit-led, and full of the Father's heart. We see a place where the hurting, the broken, and addicted know that they belong and are set free. We see a place where we flesh out and live out our three core values, the Father's heart, our identity in Christ, and right relationships. God sees that about us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's not only who we are, it's what we're becoming. It's our potential. God sees this and he is declaring this over us. And we want to be people that sees as God sees. God who sees the bigger picture. He sees who he created us to be. And we want God to open our eyes to the much more of what is going on. Um, I want to look at a scripture. It makes me think about what does God see. It makes me think about a scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you'll go with me there, or I think it'll be on the screen as well. Um, One of my 
downfalls is that I will get hung up in Scripture and just want to talk about it and explain all the details. So I, 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 we don't have time to do that. But the gist that is going on here is that the Israelites are surrounded by the enemy army. There are chariots, there are horses that have them surrounded. And Elijah's servant goes out to survey what's going on. And Elijah's servant goes out and he sees how great and how vast the enemy is. And the prophet Elijah says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. The servant's eyes were opened and he was able to see that greater are the ones that are for us than the ones that are against us, even though the ones that were against us looked mighty and looked large and looked many. God was pulling back the curtain, showing what was going on behind the scenes of what could be seen with the natural eyes, to see the greater work that was going on, to see the spiritual reality of what is going on. So Lord, we ask that today you do the same thing, that you open up our eyes to the greater work that you're doing. Open up our eyes, Lord, and speak, because your servants, we are listening. Thank you, Lord. God's reality is greater. His reality is greater than what we can see. He wants to change our vision. We've heard over the last couple of weeks, if we would value what God values, we're going to start seeing what God sees. Sometimes we need to step away from our circumstances. We need to step away and get out of the middle of them because in the middle of them, they're overwhelming. And we need to step away, step away with the Lord and let's get his perspective. I love the word that says in Revelations 4, um, 4, 1, come up here and let me show you. We need to come up here and allow God to show us what he's up to. We want to see with God's eyes. This makes me, um, as I was preparing for this, it makes me think about my um, earthly father. He was um, a professional truck driver, worked for Teamsters as I was growing up, and then he was a deputy sheriff with the sheriff's department. And I say all that from the standpoint of driving safety and uh, awareness was something that he was quite, that was important to him. In fact, he died with his truck keys in his hand that he was passionate that one day he would drive again. Um, But my dad taught us and I'm the oldest of three kids. He taught us how to drive, and he taught us to, how to drive like a truck driver. And I mean it. I know a lot of the tools, of the, the tricks of the, the thinking that goes behind a man that sits behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler. And there were a lot of pet peeves that my father had. One of them was the fact that you had to be a person that drove using your mirrors, You don't turn your neck, you don't look behind you, you use your mirrors. That's what they're there for, he would tell me. And he would make us practice, going down a ramp, getting on the interstate, and if we turned our head, man, we were in trouble. We had to learn how to use our mirrors to merge, how to use our mirrors to park. We weren't allowed to turn our heads. The left lane, if you're on a two-lane highway, 
And this is a law, too. The left lane is for people. <laughs> the left lane is for people passing. You're not supposed to be driving in the left lane being slow. Amen? <laughs> you also are not supposed to drive below the speed limit. You're supposed to drive the speed limit. You're also not supposed to pass an 18-wheeler on their right-hand side. They've got a blind spot. They can't see you. I don't know what technology is these days, but in those days, they can't see you. And I'm going to tell you what. If you were on the interstate and you were with my dad and you started to pass an 18-wheeler on the right-hand side, you were sorry that you ever did that. But the thing is, is I can hear my dad's voice when I'm driving now. Interestingly enough, I do drive his pickup. I, we bought that after he passed away. But I do drive his pickup, and his driver's license is sitting right there in the, in the console. And I not only see him, but I hear him. And I'm going to tell you one thing. If you're driving in the left-hand lane and you're driving slow, he's already labeled you. You're a woman on a cell phone. And he... <laughs> And he would, because he'd go, look at her in a minivan talking on her phone. And you know what? Sometimes when I'm passing somebody and I'm in the right-hand lane because they're choking up the left-hand lane, I'm looking over at them going, daggone it, it's a woman on a cell phone. <laughs> but my father taught us respect for the road. He taught us, though, how to drive defensively and aggressively. But that's because he saw things differently. When you are in an 18-wheeler and you drive across country all the time, you see things differently. And you know, that's what God wants to do with us. He's got a whole different perspective on our little microscopic environments. He wants to give us a heavenly perspective. He wants to change our lenses so that we can see. You know, I wear glasses. I absolutely need glasses to see. M matter of fact, I take my glasses off a lot, when, especially when I'm working out. I can't hear good when I can't see good. <laughs> I really can't. And they'll, sometimes somebody will hand me my glasses because they realize I can't hear them. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. But you know what? I think there's something that maybe we could fish around in spiritually for. If we can't see, you can't hear. God wants us to believe what he says and not what we see. How many of us are walking around proclaiming what we see? He wants us to have the mind of Christ. That's what the word says. He wants us to have a mind that is set on things above. He wants us to have a mind that is led by his spirit. He wants us to have a mind that believes him above all else. Deviate for a second. Well, I talked about it, I think, one time in the fall when I was speaking. I'm still a fan of This Is Us. Anybody else still a fan of the TV show This Is Us? I, I believe there's probably more now. My husband's still not a fan. He still hates it. So I still have to watch it when he's not around. Um, so I can watch it in peace. But it was a few weeks ago, and John Richardson actually is the one that brought this to my attention, and, and he's so right on with this. Um, you'll get this even if you don't get the show. Um, the young daughter, she's in her 
senior year of high school and she's getting ready to go away to college and she's being asked to send in an audio of her singing because she's trying to get into a music school. And so she has a choice of sending in a CD or a video and she's got self-image issues. And so she wants to send in a CD so it's just her voice and not what she looks like. But her dad wants to videotape her. And... Um, so he actually does secretly videotape her while she's sitting in her bedroom recording on her CD. And she realizes that, and she gets angry with him. And he apologizes and explains to her that he doesn't want her to be ashamed of the way she looks. And she's aggravated. And she says to him, nobody else sees me the way you do. And the more you tell me that I'm beautiful, it just hurts because it reminds me that no one else sees it that way. And then the show goes on, you know how they do, flipping back and forth between the scenes. You don't know whether they're in the 1950s or the 1980s or 2000s. And um, they flip back and she puts the cassette in and she gets to see her father looking at her because the angle that he videotaped her from, he was in the mirror. And so she gets to see him and she sees the love on his face and the look and the pleasure on his face as she was singing and he's videotaping her. And so she goes to him in a real tender moment and she says to him, she goes, Dad, I don't want you to stop trying to make me see myself the way you see me. And I wonder how many of us are like that with God. God wants to tell us how wonderful we are, how amazing we are, what he's created us to do. And we're like, stop it. I'm so unworthy. I'm so this. I'm so that. We define ourselves by our past failures, by what other people have said to us. When he wants to tell you how wonderful you are and the plans he has for you and the things he wants to do in your life that are so amazing that we can't even imagine. So I believe that some of us need to say, okay, I want to hear. Don't stop talking to me. If we could see how God sees us, step away and live from that assurance, things would be so different in our lives. What we see as problems God sees them as purpose. There's a Jonathan Heltzer song. It's an older song, um, but I love it. And I took some of the words to put them on the screen. Um, and it's called You See. So, all right, you're going to get confused. Don't be confused because when I say we see and you see. Anyway, here's what I mean by you see. Jonathan Heltzer is singing from the perspective of as a person, this is what I see but this is what you see, God. He says, I see a mountain, and God sees a miracle. I see a wasteland. God sees a garden. I see what looks like dry bones, and God sees an army. I see impossible, and God sees everything. I see a seed, and God sees a harvest. I see the water, and God sees wine. I see the broken, 
And God sees the body, the body of Christ. I see my enemy, and God says, I see a footstool. We see, amen to that, right? We're seated with him in heavenly places. Everything is under his feet. We're seated beside him. We see preaching and teaching grounded in the word of God, spirit-led and full of the Father's heart. We see it. We're declaring this over you. We see it. We see it not only on Sunday morning and Friday nights and you gathered here. We see you at your home, grounded in the Word, full of the Spirit, full of the Father's heart. We see you in your workplace, in your schools, in your small groups. We see people growing and getting stronger in Christ. We see people taking their place. We see the people of God believing God in a passionate way that leads to other people who don't know God having an encounter with God. We see passionate worshipers, God's children, making their way home to the Father's house, taking their places up as sons and daughters, no longer slaves, no longer orphans, but realizing that everything we have in Christ is ours. We see it. We see the dead coming to life. We see the prodigals coming home. It is, as Pastor John said last week, it is revival. And revival is not a series of meetings. It is not a tent erected up in the, in the yard on the side of the road. Revival is transformation of his children as they come home to the house. We see it. And what we want to say to you is, we didn't make this up. God sees it. This is God's word over us. This is not just like, oh, I came to church on Sunday morning for the last few weeks and I'm hearing that we see thing. This is what God is doing in us if we allow him. So Pastor John left us last week with revival is his children coming home and being transformed. So I want us to go to Romans chapter 12, Verses 1 and 2. And you may know this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformation. How does transformation take place? According to this word, transformation takes place how? It's there. By the renewing of our minds. Well, I want to talk to you about great father in the faith, Abraham. It says in the Bible six times that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believe means to commit, to trust in, to have confidence in. So we're going to look at Abraham's life. And I I, want to say this. If you don't know who Abraham is, that's great. Because now's a great time 
starting today, to get in your Bible and read about who Abraham was and to read about his life. It's awesome. Um, my husband and I work with Dare Challenge guys, have for a long time. We absolutely love it when a Dare Challenge guy comes in and knows absolutely nothing about the Bible, has never read it before and knows nothing. Because they are a blank slate at which God can write his truth perfectly. They haven't got any preconceived, maybe um, just wrong ideas about who God is. So don't feel bad if you don't know who Abraham is. But I'm going to talk about Abraham Maybe in a, if you do know who Abraham is, I'll talk about him in a little bit of an elementary level, like you don't know who he is. Um, anyway, Abraham appeared in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 11, and in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, um, go there, Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And actually, when we start off here, his name is Abram. And we'll talk about that in a minute, too, why his name changed. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. All people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him, and Abraham was 75 years old. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his possessions, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site is the greater tree, and we'll go on from there. God told Abraham to leave his country at 75 years of age. Leave his country and leave his people. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. And so Abraham did as he was told. And he was 75 years old. And then we've got a journey that Abraham takes. He has great history with God. He takes him into Canaan, there's a famine, he goes into Egypt, there's wars, there's battles. It's a journey with the Lord. God moves him, God speaks to him, and he follows. He develops a history with God. So let's move on in his history and go to chapter 15. And I'm going to read 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them all. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham's 75 years old, he's older now, and he has not had any children. Look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham's response is, he believed the Lord and he cr credited it to him 
as righteousness. This is the first time the word believe has been used, and it's the first time that righteousness has been used. Believe. Abraham had confidence, trust in, and he was committed to God. And God credited Abraham with righteousness, right standing with God, based on Abraham believing God, not on anything that Abraham did. Abraham hadn't done anything, really, but it was based on him saying, I believe you, God. And how did Abraham, we see right there in that scripture, it says, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. How did the word of the Lord come to Abraham? He pulled out his iPad, his Bible? No, there was no written word. Abraham had ears that were in tune to hearing God. God made personal appearances a voice, people heard voices, heard God speak. There would be angelic visitations. Minds could hear the Lord speak. There was the working of prophets. But the word of the Lord came to Abram. And righteousness was credited to his account. Dang, boom. That means when something's credited to my account, that's like a million dollars just, boom, went into my checking account. Righteousness just went into my account because I believe God. That's what it was for Abraham. Righteousness because he believed. That's why we see preaching and teaching grounded in the word of God, spirit-led, full of the Father's heart. We see us taking our place and believing God. Righteousness in our accounts. Um, What's the difference? Here I want to ask you this though. What's the difference in believing in God and believing God? I bet you we'd go out there and take a poll. Everybody believes in God, but believing God? That means you believe what he says, who you are, what he's doing, not just believing in him. So ask yourself about the difference between believing in and believing God. Then God makes a covenant with Abraham. All of this is fascinating. There's such great teaching in all of it. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and it was based on just God, God keeping his covenant. Um, and then we see that the word of the Lord comes again to Abraham. He showed Abraham that what he was going to do, that he was going to have a baby. He tried to have a baby, and he did have a baby with his, with his uh, servant girl. But he said, no, it's going to be yours, yours and Sarah's. And Abraham was 99 years old. <laughs> huh? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Genesis 17. Sometimes you don't even need words for that one. Um, Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. From exalted father to father of multitudes. And this one is fascinating to me. And it's, um, 
anyway, when you look at Yahweh, it, it's taking the H out of the middle of Yahweh the, and putting it in Abraham. God's putting his spirit in Abram and he's becoming Abraham. He does the same with Sarah. There's the H at the end of Sarah, becomes Sarah. The word of God going forth, spirit-led. God's word will perform what he intended it to be because it will be empowered by his spirit. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. And that's in chapter 21. And in chapter 22, God goes, Hey, Abraham, here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love. Does that sound familiar? Take your son, your only son whom you love. Take Isaac and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And this is what we're told. Early the next morning, Abraham loaded up two servants and Isaac and a bunch of cut wood. And three days of traveling up the mountain, he told the servants to stay for a while while we go and worship and we will return. And Isaac says, fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. What a picture of the greater plan of God that was going on. Foreshadowing God's own plan of sacrificing his son. Take your son your only son whom you love for the world. And so Abraham reached the place where he built an altar. He arranged the wood. He bound up his son. He wasn't a baby. He was somewhere in his teenage years. Bound him up, laid him on the wood, took out a knife, and an angel appeared. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand. And there appeared a ram in the thicket. The Lord will provide. Yes, the Lord will provide now and forevermore because he gave his son. Talk about Abraham's mental state. (laughs) Three days going up the mountain. If this is God's promise... What do you think he was thinking about? What would you be thinking about? Going up. God, why? What are you doing? Abraham would have never made it up the mountain if he were not mentally strong in the Lord. He would have never made it up the mountain. His history, God's faithfulness, Abraham's history and trust and belief in the Lord. Now coming down, woohoo! God is good, right? And I have to tell you, I mean, I do my own looking at myself on this, and I'm like, man, complaining and grumbling and wondering and, oh, what's God doing? Ah! You know? Don't say anything. <laughs> Husband. But, you know, Right? And then God's good. 
But do we go up the mountain? I'm believing God. I know what he said. I'm not letting what I see sway me. Well, all these silly TV shows that come on now, I think if somebody would do Abraham, there's going to be a bib, living biblically, I think, as a reality TV show. And I'm just going to wait and see if that one's really, really living biblically. But um, can you imagine Abraham's story? And it is, it has been. But as a, real, as a TV show every week, you'd be sitting on the edge of your seat. What is God doing? What is God doing? But it's the same thing for us in our lives. What a story God is writing with our lives. But we're a culture, we're just like watching reality TV shows, watching, you know, I don't know, I won't name them because it might be something you watch. But there's a ton of weird reality TV shows out there. I do watch too, um, or have watched too for sure. And they're not, the thing is, is they're not real. A, a reality show is not real. I mean, we had two fishermen friends of mine here this morning. My husband's a fisherman, but Wicked Tuna is not real, y'all. I mean, there's some parts of it that's real, but it's not real, is it? No. <laughs> it's not real. I mean, you know how they get paid 20-some dollars a pound for fish? Glenn got paid $2 a pound for the same kind of fish last week. It's not real. But you know what? If you watch it long enough, you start thinking it's real, and you start basing your life on it. Well, the other one I like to watch, or used to watch, it doesn't come on anymore, I don't think. Biggest Loser. Oh, I love The Biggest Loser. And then I caught myself, like, sitting back, eating ice cream, eat, eating M&Ms. Can't wait to see how much weight they lost each week. I was, like, hanging, and I was like, wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? There's something wrong with that. Um, and I had to make a choice that I was no longer, if I wanted to like enjoy what was going on in The Biggest Loser, biggest loser I need to put my ice cream down and get out there and do what they were doing. <laughs> be transformed. How are you going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. So I had to change the way I thought. Transform is the, word, the root word of, of transform, the Greek word or the Hebrew word is meta, is, has to do with metamorphosis, change or transfigure. And we are all going in our walk with the Lord, we are going from glory to glory to glory to glory, it says in, in Corinthians, that we're going from glory to glory. We're being transformed. We're being changed. We're being changed as our minds are renewed. When you look at the word renewed, what it really means, complete renovation for good. Now, who renovates their house for bad? Our minds need to be renovated, renovated for good. I want to submit to you that it's time for us to quit being like me and coming in and hearing the preaching and the teaching of the word while you're eating ice cream and M&Ms. It's time to get in the game and the preaching and the teaching of the word goes out. It's not here. It's in your lives. You're going to be speaking the word and sharing the word with people in your, in your workplace. We're no longer going to be observers. We're going to say, I want in. If you've never read the Bible before, great. Get a Bible. Start with a Bible reading plan. Oh, I see my friend Kim in the back. She just started a most amazing Bible study, and I went by to see her one day to see Matt, and she's telling me all about it. She's in a 
precept Bible study. And that's an awesome study to be in. And I'm so excited for. Get in a study. And if you've been in a study, then keep being in that study, but start leading a study. What are your next steps in getting involved in the fellowship? It's no longer that we're just going to sit in the pews and listen to somebody else while we're eating ice cream. We're going to grow up. And when we grow up, maturing means we go from milk to meat. Maturing means we're not going to be tossed about anymore. Maturing means we're going to be consistent. We're going to have a healthy spiritual diet. Maturing means we're going to grow up and we're going to get stronger and we're going to be more unified. Abraham, I said it before, Abraham would have never made it up the mountain if he did not have, if he had a weak mind. He would have never made it. Our mind is powerful, and it is where transformation takes place. It's, I read this last night. Caroline Leaf, who's like, um, she's not a brain surgeon, but she's a neuroscientist, but a Christian neuroscientist, says this. If you don't like something, change it. And if you can't change it, then change your attitude. And you know what? This plays out in our physical life as well as our spiritual life, our, the power of our brain and our mind. I ran a marathon once, once, and that's all I'll ever do, once. But I did it. And um, when I got to, though, as you train each week, you run. And I don't run. I, I run, walk, whatever. But anyway, I get there. Um, when you train, each week you run a longer run. And when I started getting to the place where I was in my 20 miles, running 20 miles on a Saturday morning or whatever, I just, it wasn't that my body couldn't do it, but I talked to my sister who runs marathons all the time. And she started sending me these little cards that told me how to start thinking differently. It wasn't physical anymore. It was mental strengthening that I needed. I needed to talk to myself in my head in order to keep running. And I needed to think differently. Well, I don't do a marathon, but I still run half marathons. I mean, all the time. My, one of my running partners, Doc, was here in early service. And we do a thing, and this is why I say we don't really run. We do a thing called run a minute, walk a minute, or run 30 seconds, walk 30 seconds, or we say run 30 seconds, talk 30 seconds. But anyway, the, here's the principle. Here's the principle, and it, and it works. Who can't run for 30 seconds? So I run for 30 seconds, and then I walk for 30 seconds. And I... Tell myself when I start to run, who can't run for 30 seconds? And next thing you know, two and a half hours later, I'm crossing a 13.1 mile finish line. Just doing it 30 seconds at a time. And we've got, I think it's awesome, we've got great physical trainers in our church body. Um, we've got a professional natural bodybuilder with Levi Burge here. Yes. And we've got Noah Snyder, yeah. And I don't know if I'm leaving anybody out. And then I have another friend who comes here, some Mandy Savage, who really is one of my, uh, my sisters in Christ. But they'll tell you what the power of the mind does for working out and physical training. Most of the time, I quit in my mind. My body is still ready to go on, but I'm coming up with every kind of excuse of why to stop. You've got to battle in how you think. Because you can get overwhelmed by the bigger picture. Like, for example, last Saturday, not yesterday, two, uh, last Saturday I was at Momentum. And we were doing a workout, and Noah threw in 
every two minutes he'd blow a whistle or whatever and we'd have to do five burpees. Well, who can't do five burpees? I mean, hey, Jamie. <laughs> now, now, Jamie, I know, talked to y'all about burpees a few weeks ago because he can do them. So we'll get him to show you. But it, it is, it, so who can't do five burpees? But you know what? And so we're doing a workout. He'd blow the whistle. My young adult Bible study, my young adult, it's not mine, it's God's. But the young adult Bible study I get to be a part of, we work out with Noah. And that's how that whole thing happened. Yes, yes. And we're getting stronger physically and spiritually. But anyway, Noah would have us do five burpees because you can do it. And at the end of the workout, I'm dying, sweating, and everything else. Noah, how many we do? In addition to the regular workout, he had blown the whistle 20 times. We had done 100 burpees. If he had said that day, now today you're going to do 100 burpees. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not doing it. I can't do 100 burpees. I cannot. But I did five at a time every two minutes. Well, of course, I really have a bigger point than all of that. You know, we're in Christ, we're dead to sin, and we're alive to Christ. Sin has no hold on us, but we do know that we are held hostage by some things. We're in bondage to some things. And you might look at your life and go, I cannot imagine a whole life of never doing whatever. I cannot imagine ever being free of whatever. I cannot imagine that I could be, Jamie prayed for a spirit of kindness this morning. I can never imagine being kind like all my life. <laughs> but can you do it for 30 seconds? Could you do it for a month? Could you do it for a day? Could you do it for 30 seconds? And next thing you know, you're crossing the finish line and you're stepping into glory and with the Lord's help and his spirit, you have done it because he says you can do it. Our excuses of saying we can't do it are nothing but excuses because he says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He says you're seated with me in heavenly places. We've got to be people that say we won't quit. We won't give up. We're going to get back up. We are going to be people of the word and spirit-led and full of the Father's heart. We're confident. We're forgiven. We know who we are. Just as in Ezekiel, there is a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel looks at something that's dead and not changing. And God asks, hey, can these bones live? And Ezekiel had a great answer. Sovereign Lord, you know. <laughs> and God says, prophesy over the dry bones. We see people grounded in the word, spirit-led, full of the Father's heart, passionate worshipers, revival in home and home and revival, orphans and children coming home to the Lord. The word is received. The wind blows. The wind is the spirit of God. God's word will not return void. He says, I will see that my word performs Sometimes we look at what God's asking us to do and we're going, I can't do it. You can't, but you can through him. If he asks you to do it, he's going to enable you to do it. If you change your mind, 
and allow him to work and you believe him. And then he sends the wind and the bones come to life. The bones start to rattle. The muscles come in. The tendons and everything comes in and they start around and they rise up and it's an army. An army. We see that we are having our minds transformed. And sometimes we come into to God's presence and we're like, more God of you, more God of you. God may be going, give me more of you. We're no longer observers sitting on the sofa eating ice cream and M&M's. We're in. I want to close, and if the worship team, prayer team can come on up, I want us to close and I want us to go to Romans again. Stop. And chapter 4. Starting at verse 17, we have Paul talking about Abraham. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, Abraham. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead, and he calls things into being, things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. If we had Abraham here today, God kept showing Abraham the stars, the sand. This is how many your offspring will be. And Abraham just needed to believe God for Isaac first. But if we had Abraham here today and could show him all of the people that have trusted in the Lord or over this world, what do you think Abraham would say? Dang! He really did mean it when he said it would be as great as the number of stars in the sky. Pastor Scott said today that there's some people in here that are at the end of their rope and they have no hope. Take comfort, verse 18. Against hope, Abraham in hope believed. It wasn't in the hope of his circumstances. It's in the hope of his God. The truth is going to set us free and the lies are going to keep us in bondage. We have got to identify what are lies in our life. And we need to tear them down and replace them with the truth. We are people who are going to believe God. We are people that are confident of God's promises. We are people that are confident in the promisor over his promises.
We are walking in the reality of heaven on earth with our renewed minds. We are living and expecting God's will to be done. We're growing, we're maturing, we're learning people. Let's be, let's believe God. And boom, in our account, credit to us is the righteousness of Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word that you see more than we can imagine. When you have spoken the we sees over this place, it is because this is what you're doing. So Father, I pray that we would all say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I want to be in. I don't know how I'm going to walk this whole thing out, but I'm going to trust in you one day at a time, one step at a time. I'm going to get a Bible. I'm going to start reading your word. And the word of the Lord will come and your spirit will empower me. I'm going to get in your word and read it more. Consistent. Consistent. I'm going to be confident in your promises. I'm going to get in a Bible study. I'm going to lead a Bible study. I'm going to open up my home so that other people can be a part of the word of the Lord going forth. Thank you, Father, for such a time as this that you are raising us up. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.